Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. We're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we wanted you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message. If you got your Bibles, help me out. I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 7. And some of y'all looking shocked right now because I'm about to put these glasses on. As me and my wife, well, my wife already said, um, we getting older, y'all. And one day I was studying, and I was holding my Bible. I was like, why are these words so blurry? I can see far. I can't see near. But that's all right, because God invented glasses. So we going to see today. All my folks that wear glasses, can somebody just make some noise out there so I don't feel bad? I ain't getting older, I'm getting better. 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 7. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king. I love that, underline that. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze, metal, uh, the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Wow. It was called... Nehushtan, underline that. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no king like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, verse 7. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. That was a real good place to say amen, but I feel like some people missed it, so I'm going to say that part with emphasis again. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. And the church said, today on this back to school Sunday, I've entitled this message this. All I do is win. So all I do is win. Amen? Any winners out there? Uh-huh. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. For this is the day that you have made, God. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God, I thank you that before the earth began to spin on its axis, you knew each and every human that was going to be in this place today. God, I pray that hearts, minds, and ears will be open and receptive to a word that will always be about Jesus. And I just want to say this again, Lord Jesus, may I lie down as you rise up. Don't let these words be my own. Let them come from your throne room of grace. And God, I pray, I pray that by the time it's all said and done, somebody meets Jesus. Open hearts, minds, and ears to be receptive to a word that's always about him. And God, for the person that's in this room that feels like they never win, let them know that you are the God that always wins. 
And if they trust you, they'll never lose. Lord, I pray somebody meet your son today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, everybody said, take about five seconds and give Jesus a shout of praise. Come on. That was cute, but that don't sound like the praise that the God that wins deserves. Come on. I ain't got much time, so I got to unpack this as fast as I can, so get ready. This sabbatical that we were on for six weeks was amazing. And I want to thank you, church, for trusting us enough and trusting the team enough to allow us and loving us enough to allow us to go and get some rest. Because how many of you know, if you don't break, you break. And before we break, I want to make sure we're taking adequate time to make sure that we are filled up because you cannot bless somebody from an empty place. So we took time. We took time to get physically, mentally, and spiritually aligned to the will of God for our life so that we can be the best pastors that you need us to be. And the church said, but I don't want to just be a better pastor. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father, a better brother, a better son, a better friend. So we had to retreat for a moment because we had to really consider our well-being as humans. I did not have glasses before sabbatical. I have it now. Why? Because I was concerned about my physical well-being. Y'all, I went to the dentist. Somebody say hallelujah for the dentist. No one says hallelujah for the dentist. But it feels good to have some clean teeth in my mouth. If your teeth are clean and you know it, smile real big at your neighbor. Just, if you're not smiling, go to the dentist. But it wasn't just the physical, it wasn't just the mental, the spiritual, everything had to be taken to another level because we needed rest in order to elevate in God's kingdom, amen? So I'm thankful. And the one thing I will say about sabbatical is that it gave me a lot of time to reflect. Not preaching messages, you know, not doing the stuff that a pastor does every day. It gave me a lot of time to just like think about life and there were so many moments and I know my wife is going to shake her head yes when I say this. We had a lot of moments together. We sent our baby girl off to summer camp in New York. Praise God because it gave mom and dad some time to be alone. Oh holla. My daughter does not want to hear that. But the beautiful thing about it is Joe and I got to reflect on life and and how many times did I ask you this question, Joe? We'd just be sitting, just chilling, and I'd be like, how did we get here? Like how, like, how did we get here? Like, I can't believe God loves us this much that he's allowing us this type of rest, and he's afforded us the, the life that we are living right now. Y'all, I'm a kid from Carroll City. I can't believe the way I live. Amen. I can't believe what I get to do every day. Like, like, if you knew where I was from and you knew what we had to go through, me standing in front of you today is just a miracle. So I sit back sometimes like, yo, God, I can't believe, like, that we're here. How did we get here? And I began to think, man, like, there's so much success that God has afforded Joe and I in our life. But as I sat around and thought about our success, I also thought about the people in our life that it seems like, they can never find success. 
with all the times in my life that I feel like I've won, there's still some people that I know that it feels like they never win. And I started to ask myself, I'm like, God, like what is the difference between people that win and people that feel like they're always losing? Like what, 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 man, cause y'all, y'all got those people right in your life and you see them, it's like, man, they always killing it. And then sometimes you look at yourself and you're like, yo, why ain't there yet? Why, why my life ain't like, why, why things don't feel good? Like I got a lot of people in life and they look at it from the outside and they feel like, yo, all the Wilsons do is win. And here's the problem with that. You're comparing your life to me instead of the one that God planned out for you. Stop comparing your life to people and compare it to the plan. When you compare it to the people, you feel like you're never going to measure up. Because God has us on two different timetables doing two different things. So I don't compare to people, I compare to the plan. Does my life align with what God wants for me? And I really start thinking about like, what separates the winners from people that feel like they are not winning? And as I was on sabbatical and as I was in the word, God led me to Hezekiah. He led me to second Kings. He was like, you want to know, you want to know the keys to win in life? You need to read about Hezekiah's son. So I opened my Bible. I opened it up to second Kings chapter 18 and we get to the story of Hezekiah one of the greatest winners in all of history let me give you a little context by the time Hezekiah is king of Judah the Israelites are split up into two different kingdoms there's a northern kingdom the capital of that kingdom is Samaria and it consists of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel that were able to go into the promised land the problem is y'all know about the Israelites they were stubborn they was hard-headed and they continued to defy God so the northern kingdom was based of 10 tribes but then you had the southern kingdom the southern kingdom was called judah and the capital of that was jerusalem and uh, judah was based on one main tribe which was the tribe of judah and we know jesus is the lion of the tribe of judah and the church said but it also consisted of pieces of other tribes like uh, the tribe of Benjamin um, and, uh, 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 and, the, and the tribe of Simeon. So there, 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 there was a smaller group that made up the southern kingdom, Judah, and there was a larger group that made up the northern kingdom, Israel. When we get to Kings, what Kings is telling us is telling us of a 345 year period where God put kings on the earth because the people was like, we want a king. God was like, am I not enough? They was like, no, we want somebody we could see to rule over us. So God's like, all right, I'm gonna give you 345 years of kings. And first the kings were singular. There was, let me see, there was Saul, there was David, then there was Solomon. Then after King Solomon, something happens. The tribes, they get split up, not with just one king, now there are two, the king of the north and the king of the south. What separated the tribes? Politics, in short. Politics, people wanted to do stuff the way that they wanted to do them, and Solomon's sons was like, yo, we don't want this to be together anymore, we wanna do it a certain way, we wanna do it another way. So, by the time you get to Hezekiah, right before Hezekiah, right before we hear about him, the northern kingdom, they're destroyed. They are banished into exile. They are conquered 
by the Assyrians. So the northern kingdom is no more. And the way that the Assyrians conquered them is they conquered other people of other cultures and then they took those people and they imported them into uh, Samaria where the northern kingdom was and then they allowed the cultures to mix which if you know anything about your Bible that was against the will of God. God wanted the Israelites to stay separate unto themselves. He did not want them to intermingle and intermix because he knew that their foreign gods would begin to manipulate God's people and they would stop looking at gods and they would start looking at everything else. So they're destroyed. They're conquered by the Assyrians. And now only the southern kingdom is left, which is Judah, the capital city of Jerusalem. And there were some terrible kings. They were really bad. They did some crazy things. And Hezekiah is one of two good kings that you hear about, him and Josiah. And I love Hezekiah because when we get to his story, that was the setup for where we're going right now. Second Kings 8, 1 through 3. Look at this. It says, in the third year of Hoshea, son of Ella, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, underlined son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25, underline that, years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Before I tell you what Hezekiah did to win, let me tell you what he did not do. You ready for it? Yeah. Hezekiah never let his past or his age define him. Amen. I, I need somebody to hear that in this room today because it's people of different generations, people of different ages, people of different skill sets, people of different experiences. What Hezekiah did not do was let his past or his age define him. Let's talk about his past first. I told you to underline this. It says that he was the son of King Ahaz. Ahaz is one of the worst fathers in biblical history. One of the worst. You don't believe me? Listen to what it says about King Ahaz. Imagine if this was your father. 2 Kings 16, 2 through 3. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. Unlike David, his father, David was one of his forefathers, like a great grandfather or so. He did not do what was right in the eyes of God. He abandoned the right ways, chose the wrong ways. Listen to how crazy this man was. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire. Let me make it clear for you. He burned his child alive. Y'all with me? Yes. He sacrificed his son in the fire. He's not getting any parent of the year awards. He engaged in detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Why do I want to bring that up? Because Hezekiah had one of the worst examples on the planet of what a king and a father should be and still turned out to be one of the most successful kings in history. I am so sick and tired. Pastor, you don't know where I come from. Pastor, you don't know who my parents were. Pastor, you don't know what situation I come from. Let me tell you something. 
Hezekiah came from a man that would kill his children and learn how to be a better father and a better king than his father ever was. Stop allowing your past to be a crutch to make an excuse for why you're not doing the thing that God has called you to do. It does not matter where you come from. It does not matter who your parents were. It does not matter what people say about you. All that matters is who God created you to be. So stop allowing your past to be the crutch that does not allow you to walk into your future. Yeah, Pastor, you don't, you, you, you don't know. You, you, you don't know. You can come. I, listen, I, I highly doubt, and maybe I'm wrong, I highly doubt anybody in here has had a parent as, as bad as Hezekiah's father. And if you have, I'm sorry. But it does not give you an excuse not to live up to the potential that God has called you to. There's no excuse. Your past does not determine your future. But let me tell you something. You know why people allow their past to do that to them? Because here's the issue. You would rather live in the past because there's still someone or something to blame there. But leaders live in the future and only blame themselves for the outcome. You want to keep going back to it? Because there's something there you can point a finger to. And God says, I need you to repent. I need you to turn away from it. I need you to move forward and be accountable for your life. Stop looking for the thing in the past that has changed you because it's the only thing that you can blame for the way that you are. But check this. I love this. Because it wasn't just about his past. He didn't just let his past stop him. He did not let his age stop him. There's all kinds of ages in this room. Hezekiah was 25 when he became king. 25? Any 25-year-olds in the house? Raise your hand. 25? 25 or younger? Okay. Good. Good. Some of y'all don't want to admit it. Okay. 25. I'll be 42 in two weeks. 42. I look good, y'all, huh? Okay, 42. 42 in two weeks. But I remember when I was 25. Y'all, I was something else when I was 25. I was all over the place when I was 25. Like, like I was a teacher part-time. I worked at the church part-time. I, I wasn't even a pastor yet. I spent more money on shoes than anything else at 25. Wasn't smart. I had no property, I had no investments. I've been dating Pastor Joe for seven years at that point and just got up the nerve to ask this woman to marry me at 25. Not only that, y'all, my credit couldn't get it. I had a 521 credit score at 25. Some of y'all like, ooh, you wasn't just broke, you was broke broke. Ain't like that now. But what I'm trying to tell you is, At 25, I was a mess. At 25, I didn't have everything together. At 25, who knows what Hezekiah really had going on, but God still looked at him and said, you're a king. What I need you to understand, I tell you how crazy I was at 25 because I don't think I was ready to necessarily lead anybody at 25, but it does not 
matter if you got everything together. It does not matter how young you are. When God calls you, he calls you. All you have to do is say yes. So do not let anybody despise you or look down on you because you are young. And the reverse of that, don't let anybody look down on you or despise you because they think you are too old. Because it does not matter if you don't do things on the timetable that everybody else does it on because God has set you apart. God knew you before you were knit together in your mother's womb and he might say 25 you're supposed to be a king or he might say at 45 you're supposed to be a king but it doesn't matter because he's the one that wrote the story. He knows the beginning, he knows the middle and he knows the end so it doesn't matter when he calls you your answer just needs to be yes. Don't let people look down on you kids today because they think you're too young. You know how many world changers are under 18 right now? And seasoned saints, don't let them tell you you passed your prime. Don't let them tell you you're getting older. You just look back at them and say, I'm just getting better. It's never too late and it's never too early to do what God has called you to do. Hezekiah never let anybody discredit him because of his age and neither should you. Young or old, do what God has called you to do. So we know what he did not do. He did not let his past define him and he did not let his age define him. So what did he do right that gave him success for 29 years as a kid? 29 years is a long time to do anything, y'all. What gave this man success for 29 years? How can I apply that to my life? If you're taking notes, write this down. Hezekiah eliminated distractions. Hezekiah eliminated distractions. I love this. Look at this. Well, we just came back, like I said, from the most refreshing vacation in the history of Wilson Vacations. We went to Morocco, y'all. It was something else. Let me tell you something. Like, if I wasn't here doing God's work, I might live in Morocco. I ain't even gonna front. Like, I liked it that much. So we get to this beautiful villa up in the Atlas Mountains where the indigenous people called the Berber people live. And the place was amazing. This pool and the scenery of the pool, I'm looking at mountains and then the room was just big. It was, it was great. Like, like I, I do a few things when I first get like to a, to a place that's not my home. Like when I get to a hotel or a resort, few things I do. First thing I do, I throw my suitcase down. I like, I float in the air and jump on the bed. Just gotta do it, I just gotta test it out, you know? But the second thing I do, I went, cause they had a big old TV in the room, I was like, yes! I went, soon as I I turned on the TV. And to my surprise, I got frustrated. Cause when I cut the TV on, I'm like, yo, this channel's is trash. Like it was the worst, it was the worst TV. I'm like, yo, no! No, I ain't come halfway across the world to watch bad TV. No. The Holy Spirit got me in that moment. He says, listen to yourself. You came halfway across the world to watch TV? You should be thanking me these channels are trash. Because what I, what I don't want you to do is watch TV, is to open up your laptop, put in your Netflix pack. What I don't want, I brought you all the way over here not to sit in front of a screen. I need you to get out. I need you to see the world. 
I, I, I need you to come back with fresh perspective and it's nothing on that idiot box that's going to help you. I need you to cut it off. Y'all, this was probably the first and only two weeks of my life that I can remember. I ain't watched TV at all. Like, like, I ain't watch TV. I wasn't on the ground. I, I just, I put all screens down. And as I did it, I was like, it's fun outside. <laughs> like, we was outside, y'all. Like, it was like, 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 it, it was, I had experience in my, experiences in my life I will never forget. It was the best decision I ever made because I was able to enjoy everything to the fullest because I was not distracted by what was going on on TV. It's interesting. Some of us never fully enjoy life to the fullest because we're living a distracted life. But I love Hezekiah. Hezekiah understood the remedy for distraction. You ready for it? The first thing he does as the king of Judah is eliminate all distractions. Look at what it says. 2 Kings 18, 4 says, he removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. I'm going to read that again. He removed the high places. What's that? It's elevated platforms that people would conduct acts of worship on. Okay? He smashed the sacred stones. They built monuments that they would worship. He smashed them. He broke those joints. He destroyed them. He cut down the Asherah poles. An Asherah pole was a pole that was created to worship the goddess Astarte, and she was the goddess of fortune and happiness. Now, this is God's city, and people have set up these little Asherah poles by all the altars and God's like why are you putting another God before me Hezekiah he tore those things down he cut them down and then it says he smashed the, the, the bronze snake that Moses has held up into the wilderness because people were burning incense to it family I hope you hear the word of the Lord that I'm trying to deliver to you today it is time to remove it is time to smash it is time to cut down anything that stands between you and God remove distraction remove it remove smash and cut down King Hezekiah before he did anything as king he's like you know what we gotta go through some spiritual reformation first we gotta we gotta clean house we gotta get some stuff out of the way and here's what I want you to hear before you send your kids back to school before you go back into your workplace before you enter into a new season of life you need to clean up your house Pastor, I thought you were going to come back and be nice. Nope. You need a clean house. When I say clean, I mean some things must first be removed. You got to remove some things. Like, there's some things that have no business in your presence. No business. Some of y'all need to remove some numbers from your phone. Some of you need to remove yourselves from some places that you really like to go. Some of you need to remove some things in your life. You must remove them 
because you cannot get a new result if you continue to put yourself around the same things. Some of you just need like an environment change, man. Remove yourself. And some people that you hang around right now, you know, man, remove them from your life. But, but it's going to hurt their feelings. Oh, okay. So you're going to spare their feelings and hurt your destiny. Remove. Clean house. Get them out your life. But you don't just need to remove. Some things must be smashed. They must be smashed. Why? They have to be destroyed. Why? So they don't come back. Some of you have removed things, but you haven't destroyed them, so you wonder why they come back. Like, like, destroy, destroy access to filth and corruption. Destroy it. Destroy, like, delete it. Block it. Remove the password. Like, dest- get it out of your life. Destroy, destroy mediums. Destroy shrines. Oh, listen, there's some, there's some people I know love Jesus and they come to church, but you got altars in your homes. Destroy those things. Get rid of them. De- destroy them. Because you, you're the same people that say you love Jesus, but then you're like, Pastor, I need you to come pray in my house. I got spirits in my house. You know why? Because you've given them a space to rest and multiply. Destroy those things, man. I heard some nonsense on the radio the other day. Oh, call me now, because if you call me, I, I, I will. If you pay me, I will remove the spirits from your home and give you a year's worth of protection. What kind of nonsense is that? I don't need a year's worth of protection from the spirit. I need a lifetime full, and there's only one that could give it to me, and his name is Jesus, the blood of the Lamb. Y'all gonna call Mr. Kanish, Mr. Whoever it is, you gonna call all this nonsense, call all these numbers, and have you pay for spiritual protection? Let me tell you something. I ain't gotta pay for spiritual protection because the price was paid on the cross of Calvary over 2,000 years ago. All I gotta do is call on the name of Jesus, and I ain't gotta worry about no spirit. I ain't gotta worry about no demon. I ain't gotta worry about no problem because my God's got it. If you believe it, say amen. Destroy it. Jesus says it was finished once and for all. But but you got shrines in your home. My mama used to have it, so I got it. Destroy it. Get rid of it. Some stuff, though, it don't just be removed and smashed. It needs to be cut down. Some things must be cut down. They got to be... They got to be taken off. When you cut something down, you take it off the pedestal that it's on. You got to take it off of the pit. Anything you put on a high place becomes an idol. Cut it down. Anything that's not God that you put in his place is in the wrong place, no matter how good it is. Cut it down. Here's an example. The bronze snake. It says that Hezekiah, he takes the bronze snake and he breaks it into pieces. But why he do that? The bronze snake came from Moses. I don't know why I just talked like that. It just felt right. <laughs> Let me give you context on the bronze, the bronze snake. If you go back to Numbers 21, you can go back there for yourself. But in Numbers 21, the Israelites, they're in the wilderness. 
And God is about sick of them. Because they, they, the Bible says they were a stiff-necked people. So they in the wilderness cutting up. They doing all kind of nonsense, making idols, just, just being nasty out in the wilderness. God got so mad. You see, I, I, this is the stuff that by God that made me laugh because I see my pettiness. I see, I, I see like his pettiness in me and my pettiness in him sometimes. God's so sick of them, he just sent a bunch of poisonous snakes, start biting them like Pac-Man. Hamak, 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 hamak. He's like, y'all nasty? Snake for your behind. You want to worship somebody other than me? He sent snakes, biting the people. The people was like, Moses! I got a snake on my behind, what I do? Moses goes to God. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a bronze snake on a staff and I want you to hold it up to the people. And if the people look upon the staff, they will live, right? So the venom won't have power if they look upon the snake that is on the pole. I love this because Jesus himself he goes back and mentions this to Nicodemus in a conversation that he has with him. In John 3, 14 and 15, it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So what was the bronze snake? The bronze snake was a type and shadow, and I've preached this before. It was a precursor to Jesus. The people were dying because the venom of the snake was killing them. So a snake had to be held up on a pole, and if they looked at the snake, then they would live. So Jesus is the New Testament representation of the snake on the pole. You said Jesus was a snake? Not originally. He was a lamb. But he that knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we will become the righteousness of God. So the lamb becomes a snake to take away the power of its venom. And if we look upon the snake that is on the pole called the cross, if we look upon Jesus stretched out on a cross with all our sin on him, then the Bible says we can live. So... We see the Old Testament representation with the snake on the pole. We see the New Testament representation with Jesus. Here's the problem. The snake on the pole was good because it had the power of God in there to save the people. Why did Hezekiah break it? You just told me it represented Jesus. Why did he break it? I'm going to tell you why. Because that snake on the pole incident happened 800 years before Hezekiah became king. You know what the people was doing in in that 800 year period? They turned the snake on the pole into a god. And they began to burn incense to it. This was a symbol that God had Moses make so that his power could flow through it to heal the people in that moment. It was never meant to be a long-term solution. They was worshiping a bronze snake on a pole for 800 years. Hezekiah becomes king, he's like, I'm breaking that. I'm done with that. That's not God. That was just a symbol. And y'all worshiping the symbol and you're not worshiping God? Yeah. What's, 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 what's wrong with y'all? So I love it. He, 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 he breaks it. So they became so distracted by this good thing that God had done that they could no longer see God. My God. Wow. See, sometimes even good things can be a distraction. Ooh, good. That's good. 
They had this good thing. It had, the bronze snake, it was good and it had power when Moses used it. But now people burned incense to it and worshiped it for 800 years. They got distracted. They forget about God because the guy comes back in. He breaks the snake because there are things that are in your life that were good for a season, but now they are an idol and they must be broken. So, let me give you some, some help today. How, how I break these things, man? Like, you talking about break people? No, you'll go to jail. Don't do that. The easiest way to remove, smash, cut down, or break an idol is to call it what it truly is. If you get this right here, this is going to bless your life. Call it what it truly is. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says that... For a time, the Israelites have been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. So the bronze snake, they turned it into a god called Nehushtan. The interesting thing about it is they gave godlike worship to this thing, but I know Nehushtan probably sounds like this majestic god. Do you know what Nehushtan means? It means peace of brass piece of brass I'm trying to help somebody today one thing looked like a god at one moment until you called it what it actually is the god Nehushte is just actually a piece of brass I need somebody to hear me today if you want to smash remove cut down or break your idol call it what it actually is Some of you got shrines and statues in your home. Call it what it is, a piece of stone, piece of metal, wood, glass, plastic. How many of y'all worship plastic out there? No one. Oh, okay, some of y'all. I worship the stars, pastor. Call it what it is, ball of gas. Don't sound that cool to worship anymore, does it? Ball of gas, some of y'all full with gas. Star, I worship the star. No, you worship a ball of gas. Some of you worship your mate. You worship your husband or you worship your boyfriend. Let me call you, let me call him what it is. A man. Some of you worship your wife. Some of you worship your girlfriend. Let me call her what she is. A woman. Some of you worship your children. I love y'all kids. You know what they are? A young man or a woman. Some of you worship celebrities. You know what they are? A person many of us know. <laughs> no of, right? Of, thank you. Some of y'all worship the ancestors. Oh, I'm gonna offend somebody today. Now I know what Hebrew says and I know that it's a great cloud of witnesses that are looking down on me and cheering me on but I don't worship them because I worship the God that made them. The ancestors are not celestial beings. You know what the ancestors are? People who are no longer with us. Is that not what they are? They were here. Now they're not here. How I look worshiping them when they couldn't create themselves. Some of y'all worship social media. Let me call it what it is. Fake. 
if you looking at that trying to get a real picture of life, some of y'all trying to get coached. Oh, I got coached on social media. Stop. It's fake. It's, it's, it's all fake. You seeing snapshots of who people really are only after they've edited them. Money. Oh, whoa, the dollar back. Cash rules everything around me. Cream getting the money. Y'all ain't saying, come on. Let me call it what it is. A piece of paper. A position. Oh, I am doctor showing Esquire to the third. You know what it is? A title. This the one right here. Some of y'all worship the pastor. I don't want to hear my word from nobody else. That's my pastor. Sit down. Pastor, a human. I make mistakes just like you. I mess up just like you. I'm saved by grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind that I can see. Listen, don't worship me. Don't worship Joe because we mess up just like y'all. And I got to get on my knees and pray to God every day. God created me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Sometimes I ain't going to be able to help you. Sometimes I might forget to pray for you. Why? Because I'm not God. I'm a human. I'm a human. When you call something what it really is, you take its power away. And something with no power deserves no worship. Oh, that's, that's Neshutan. No, that's a piece of brass. You take its power away. And if you have no power, then you deserve no worship. This is why I love what Psalms 145 verse 3 says. It says, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. The Lord. I love this. Here's why Jesus gets my praise, y'all. You need to hear this because when I call him what he is, it sounds better than what I even realized. I call Jesus who he is. He is called Wonderful Counselor. He is called Emmanuel. He is called God with us. He is called Prince of Peace. He is called the Lily of the Valley. He is called the Rose of Sharon. He is called Jehovah. He is called Living Water, the Good Shepherd, the Door, the Bread of Life, the light of the world, the resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life, the bridegroom, the son of God, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. When I call Jesus what he truly is, I realize that there is nothing else that is worthy of my worship. When I eliminate distractions, all I can do is focus on Jesus. And secondly, and lastly, Hezekiah trust and obeyed. Not only did he eliminate distractions, he trusted and obeyed. Trust and obedience is the key to success with God. 
Like, if you just hold on to this piece of the message, somebody's life will change in this place today. Trust and obedience. Second Kings 18, 5, 7. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, yeah. underline that, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after him. He was a one of one. So much so, none of the other kings get this distinction. Not even King Josiah, because he was amazing too. But it says, no king was like him before him or after him. Why? One, he trusted in the Lord. But then two, it says, he held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord. He kept the commands of the Lord. The Lord had given Moses. So what does that mean? He was obedient. He trusted and obeyed. But you know why so many of us don't trust and obey? I'm going to tell you. You can trust God and not obey him, and you can obey God and not trust him. I'm going to say it again because when I break it down, you'll understand. You can trust God and not obey him. You can obey God and not trust him. How? Look at the way some of us live, y'all. Look at it. Hezekiah trusted the Lord. How can you trust and not obey? Parents, you know your kids trust you with their lives, but how many times have they disobeyed you? I'm a parent. I love my daughter. She's in this room. She, in the course of her life, has not obeyed every instruction that I have given her. Are there any parents that can agree with what I'm saying right now? You know your kids trust you, but they don't always obey you. Right? Kids, you trust your parents. How many of y'all trust your parents out there? Oh, this might be very telling. This is going to be some rough car rides home. <laughs> y'all kids, you, you trust your parents, right? Do you always obey them? Eh. Right? So the trust is not an issue because the trust is there, but you don't always obey. Why? You can trust and not obey because you think you know a better way. It's not that you don't think God's way works. You know it works. It's just that you want to see what happens when you do it your way. Like adults in this room, it's like we, hey, that's why, that's why like, I love people and they know I'm a pastor when I talk to them. They're like, hey, I'm going to get saved. I'm going to come around. To, I'm going to get saved one day. You know how many times I heard that in my life? You know why? Because they know God's the answer. They just want to do things their way first. It's not that they don't trust God. They just want to do it their way first. That's why so many people believe in Jesus and. Jesus and. Because they want to do it their way. They're like, Jesus, I need, you cool, but let me add a little something on to it because I want to do this my way, not your way. Jesus and. Jesus and voodoo. People bust got tight because they know. Jesus and drugs. Jesus and multiple partners. Jesus and perversion. Jesus and the cosmos. Jesus and sage. Jesus and crystals. Jesus and politics. Jesus and mother earth. Jesus and fill in the blank. You can trust God, but you cannot fully obey him. So you'll try to add some other things on there. Why? Because you're treating Jesus like he needs help. Woo! Jesus don't need anything to be better. He's Jesus. 
His way is the best way. That's why Proverbs 14, 12 tells us there is a way that appears right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. He tells us that because he knows there's people that trust him, but they still want to try their own way. So it's Jesus and something else. I know a lot of Christians, oh, Jesus and my astrology. Jesus, I'm Jesus and a Virgo. Shut up. Shut up. Why? You're doing that because you, 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 you know that he is trustworthy, but you still want to do things your own way. Stop treating Jesus like he needs assistance. But not only did Hezekiah trust the Lord, he obeyed him. So how can you obey and not trust? Y'all give me some keys, man. Make this thing sound spiritual. How can you obey and not trust? You will do what God asked, but you'll get frustrated when you don't get what you want. You'll do the right thing, but I know you don't trust because you're mad when it don't happen your way. Pastor, I, I came to church for the last six weeks when you was gone, and I still feel the same. Good! You obeyed God and came to church. Don't lose trust because God didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. He told you what you needed to hear. Pastor, I tied for a month, and I'm still broke. Good. You obeyed God. Don't lose trust because you were looking for a financial blessing when God blessed you with another breath and good health. Pastor, I've been abstinent for a year and I still don't have a mate. Good! You obeyed God. Don't lose your trust because God didn't give you a mate when he wanted to purify you from all the other mates you had before you obeyed him. It ain't enough to obey. You gotta trust. And trust me when I tell you, you can trust God because he knows what he's doing. So our Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The truth is trust and obedience, catch this, make you attractive to God. Trust and obedience in your life is like a magnet that God is connected to. Some of y'all say God feels so distant because you might trust him and not obey him or you might obey him and not trust him. But when you have the connection of trust and obedience together, there is a magnetism between you and God. He is attracted to you because you trust him and obey. That's why after the Bible says that Hezekiah trusted and obeyed, it goes on to say in 2 Kings 18.7 and the Lord was with him. See that? Trust and obey leads to connection with God and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. That's what I want in my life. I want to win in everything. He was successful in whatever he undertook. See ultimately y'all I believe as a church, we're in a season of winning because we aren't distracted by the enemy and the church said amen. And we have learned to trust and obey God in every season. Trust and obey. 
I told y'all this past April, me and Ben, we went, we came to the school, and they said, Pastor T, Benjamin, we're, we, we're sorry to inform you, you gotta move out of, uh, of the theater because we gotta do renovations in there. And we was like, all right, we just, but what do we do? They was like, you wanna try the gym? And we could have left, and it was like, nah, we're not doing that. We're just gonna find another auditorium. But you know what, Holy Spirit was like, yo, I started you here, you need to stay. It's not time to go. And I walked into a meeting in April, and I looked at the team, I was like, y'all, listen. I stopped the meeting, I was like, hey, y'all get ready, because we're gonna have to move in June. June 11th, we're gonna have to come into the gym. And we got to figure it out, and we got to try to make it feel like church. And I, you know what I love? And I told the team, I told y'all on May 21st, I came up here and announced it. And you know what? People wasn't like, oh, people was like, let's go. We've we, we been shooting in the gym before. This ain't nothing new to us. We know how to do this. And people just trusted the process because they've been with us so long and they've seen all the things that God has done. And I, I loved it. Everybody trusted and obeyed. Nobody complained, we trusted, we obeyed God, we figured it out. Yo, we've been in this gym for nine weeks in the hottest summer on record. And the church said, and we have found more success in the church in this season than we ever have in the last four and a half years. You don't believe me? From June 11th to August 6th, which was last week, the average attendance online and in person collectively was 1,900 people a week. Almost 2,000 people every single week. The first week of our sabbatical, Cool Church went viral on social media and Yari preached a message. I call her Yari Amili Abaru now because almost two million people have viewed this stinking video and because of it, 4,000 new people now follow Cool Church online. For one video. Don't tell me God ain't moving. This also been the most generous summer we ever had. We had record-breaking, we, we had one of the highest giving weeks in the history of Cool Church this summer, where traditionally across churches all over America, this is the lowest attended and lowest giving time of all seasons. But you weren't just generous with your finance. On July 15th, you were generous with your time. We had a serve day, 19 different service projects, partnered with multiple organizations across cities, and over 300 people served on one day. And it ain't stopping Because today we got 400 book bags And school supplies to give out We've been more generous In this season than we ever have been before And from June 11th To August 6th The greatest number I can report to you Is in our absence 126 people got saved. They answered altar calls, filled out cars that say, I gave my life to Jesus. Most churches don't see 100 people get saved in a year. We saw 126 in the last few weeks of the church in the absence of your senior pastors because God is moving. God is not done and this has been the hottest summer ever but not because it's hot outside. We hot in here with the Holy Ghost. 
if we trust and obey, then just like Hezekiah, y'all, we're going to find success in whatever we undertake. The school updated us last week. I got the text. It said, hey, we're sorry to inform you. We know we told you when August was over, first week of September, you're going to be back. Do you guys mind the construction? It's going a little bit slower, but we're still on track. We won't be able to get in now till the second week of September. You know what I heard, though, when they said that? This is what I heard. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. And I kept reading it. Then the more I read it, the more it sounded like this. And the Lord is with us. We will be successful in whatever we undertake. And that needs to be the prayer over somebody's life. And the Lord is with us. The Lord is with me. I will be successful in whatever I undertake. And the Lord is with me. And I will be successful in whatever I undertake. And the Lord is with me. And I will be successful in whatever I undertake. Some of y'all so used to speaking negative. It's so hard for you to speak that over your life. And the Lord is with me. And I will be successful in whatever I undertake. In other words, all we do is win, win, win. No matter what. Eliminate distractions. Trust God and obey. And you will always win. And no matter how bad it is. It is. It don't matter what news you get. If you keep a positive attitude, if you keep God at the forefront, you're never in a losing season. You might just be getting perspective for your next winning season. Because I, when I work with God, I don't get stuck. I go from glory to glory to glory. I never lose. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Because the God I serve has never lost a battle. The God I serve doesn't know what it feels like to lose. The God I serve is a conqueror. You know why Hezekiah was always able to win? Not only did he eliminate distractions, trust God and obey. The key to his success was always in his name. You know what Hezekiah means, right? Hezekiah means Jehovah is my strength. It means Jehovah is my strength. Because God is our strength today, we cannot lose. All we do is win. You see, there's some people in this room today. You say, I don't feel like a winner. As a matter of fact, Pastor, I'm in the fight of my life. I feel like I'm losing. I feel like I'm giving up. I don't know what to do. And you looked on social media this week and you looked on the news and you thought, if I just throw my hat in the air, then the Calvary will come and save the day. But I need to tell you something. All you got to do is surrender and throw your hands in the air and God will come and rescue you. And let me tell you something. He ain't going to swim across the water. He going to walk across the water and he going to take it to the enemy one blow at a time because our God is not no punk. Our God is the God that has never been defeated. He has never lost and the only signal I need to give him is my hands raised as a sign of surrender and say, God, I need your help. God, I need your strength. I will trust and obey today. I need you because I know that you have never lost. You said that I am more than a conqueror. You said greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
I don't know about you, but I serve the God that never loses. And as long as I know he is my strength, all I do is win, win, win. If you believe it, say amen. If God be for me, who could stand against me? With every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you so much for tuning in. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends and family to be a blessing to their lives as well. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.